is Bread and Thread, a podcast about food and domestic history. I'm Liz. And I'm Hazel. And today we are three friends who studied archaeology because we have a guest who is Jimmy, also known as the Welsh Viking on YouTube, um, and is back for a second time. Yay. You got me. We did not scare you off with... Was it a caterpillar cake quiz we did last time? Yes, it was. Oh, yeah. Was that was that the year of the caterpillar cake um, wars? The great caterpillar cake wars. <laughs> <laughs> no, you Excellent. failed to scare me off. In fact, I was eager to come back. So, joke's on you. Oh, no. that That is equally ominous and exciting. Thank you very much for coming back. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Um, so, as usual we are going to start by talking about what we've been making and or baking recently historically inspired or otherwise um so liz do you want to kick off sure um so i got to about the halfway point on the blanket i mentioned last time because i had a couple of days off so i just kind of sat there crocheting (laughs) um i legitimately have a blister from my crochet hook rubbing on my pinky from your hard work in the crochet mines. Yeah. <laughs> at least um, you have a blanket to show for it. I have I have half a blanket, but it's like diagonal half. Like like a sandwich. I like that. Could you make it into a sandwich blanket? I mean I've I've made a pizza blanket once, so probably. What is a pizza blanket? Um a pizza How do blanket. I get one? is when you crochet a big yellow circle and then you do some brown at the end and fold it over and stuff it so it's like a crust and then you spend several hours figuring out how to crochet mushroom slices and you sew them on with some little red circles for pepperoni i used a lot of yellow on that project like a ridiculous amount of yellow um, that is my making. My baking is, after the failed attempt last week, I did manage to make Barra Breathe in the bread maker. Woo! Oh, wonderful. My mix was way out? too wet before. This time it was it was so good. We've eaten a lot of it already. Yeah, it's got to be dry to work, like, drier yeah. than you think it should be. But, like, we got a bunch of uh, Italian cheeses from the Christmas markets, so we had some Taleggio on some toasted barra breathe, which was just, it was very good. It's, is that, does that count as fusion cuisine? <laughs> yes. That, that was very nice. That's what I've been doing. <laughs> that, that sounds excellent. I would be down for all of this. And I'm very excited to have learned what a pizza blanket is. That sounds great. I'll I'll have to send you a picture of it. I think I've got one somewhere. I want to see the pizza blanket, yes. <laughs> um, Jimmy, as the guest, what have you been making and or baking? Uh, so baking-wise, I have... What have I baked recently? Um, so I recently fried my hand at some, uh, some Tudor-style march pane um which is 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 um it's a rare thing for me to use any kind of nuts and march pain involves lots of almonds and 
lots of rose water. And it came out pretty good. It was okay. It was a bit crumblier than I think it was supposed to be. But it was it was tasty. It held together well enough. Um, okay. It was okay. But I, I haven't made it enough to know what to do to fix it yet. But I think maybe more water in it would make it less crumbly or just making the almond paste a little bit finer before doing the thing. That was a very detailed description. But yeah, I, it, that went okay. It was fine. It was tasty enough. I will probably make it again at some point. Um, and then making-wise, I have been um, I've been knitting again because I I sort of lost I lost the desire to sew. Um, so I started knitting again, and I've been knitting myself a pair of socks from uh, a First World War pattern from I think the Red Cross. Um, so I'm I'm about two thirds of the way, or three quarters of the way through an sock, but then I have to do an other sock. And the second sock is the problem. Yeah, second sock syndrome is going to hit me hard, and I the only way for me to to do it is to just leap straight into it. Like no sooner have I cut the thread that I'm casting on the new sock. Like there is no other way. You have to trick your brain into thinking it's the same project. Exactly. I'm like oh okay, and then we cast on all these stitches before the brain sort of goes, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. It's all fine. Shh. It's definitely not the same thing we've already just done. No! It's totally a different... It's totally a different part of the same project and not... and not an entirely new sock. But yeah, I, I've made one of these socks, these pairs of socks before, um, and they were lovely and they were comfy, but I put them in a wash and now they are a pair of felted oh. booties for oh. one of my godchildren. So <laughs> <laughs> Yay. Ugh. So yeah, that's that's my current that's what I'm currently up to. Yeah, I put down a pair of socks about a year and a half ago and they're still there. Yep. I was about halfway through the second one. It the struggle is real. <laughs> It's so real. It's such a, it's such a prevalent thing. But it's nice in a way to know you're not the only one. Yeah, maybe that's an inspiration to everyone listening who has an abandoned sock to just dig it out and make it happy. Work on your second sock while listening to this episode. Cowards. Oh yeah, right, right now. You know Do where it. they are. You know. You know where they, you know where the socks are. Don't pretend. <laughs> Don't lie to us and yourself. Go get them. <laughs> so now that you've I... gone and got your sock, um, what what are you telling us about, Jerry? What am I telling you about? Am I telling you about tablet weave? Is that what's happening? I I think that's what we talked about. We did, yeah. yeah. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so. Tablet, tablet weave. Tablet weave. How do you have conversations with people? I've, I've forgotten how to... <laughs> I've forgotten how to talk with other human beings. It, it, it is tricky, um, especially when, like, you also <clears throat> can't see them by virtue of the internet. But, like, I don't know, just one word after the other. So, it's good? Yeah, just one, just form sentences. So how old is tablet weaving? Let's go. Let's go with the question. 
<laughs> so as far as as far as I know, um, some of the earlier examples we've got date around to the eighth century BC. So it's fairly old as a craft. Um, and I know we've got it from from all over the shop. So like I know we've got um, some early German examples. There are some French examples. Um, there are some Italian examples and Greek ones as well. Um, I know that there are some sort of Roman Roman Near Eastern very nice ones. Um, but I think yeah, I think the earliest we've got is around the eighth century um, in a European context. Um, I'm kind of ashamed that I don't know particularly much about the non-European, about non-European tablet weaving traditions. To my shame, that is a thing that I should know more about. Um, so yeah, it's pretty old, pretty old. It's like nearly 3,000 years old, which is quite old, I guess. Yeah, that's, that's older than I thought it would be, because you only really mm. hear about it in terms of sort of a medieval European context but then i guess because we live in britain you only really hear about a lot of things in a medieval european context yeah like they're they're so like tablet woven bands are so well known from the viking age yeah that's the context that i've most heard about it in yeah. i think um but i know like we've got um we've got roman ones like the romans like their tablet weave the romans had plenty of it knocking about um, I think we've got some really nice, um, we've got some really nice ones with some, I think some gold, um, some gold thread in them from the Roman Near East. I could be wrong because examples slip through my head like grains of sand through a blind man's fingers right now. Um, but yeah, we've got, we've got like the ones from the Osserberg ship burial, which are the most famous ones, I think, probably. Um, it's like an early early Viking Age, big early Viking Age Scandinavian boat burial with the corpses of skeletons of two women, beg your pardon, and um, a fully warped up loom with tablets and thread all part way through being used. So like there is a tablet weave band being made. Oh, that. That's been excavated. That, that yeah, is the jackpot. <laughs> yeah. In, in fact, I'm going to try, um, I'm going to try and send a picture of it. To the, to the Discord thing that we're all using. Can I find a good one? No. No, I can't. I'm frightened I'll, I'll to take a bad one. Oh, okay, I'll take a bad one. I'd prefer a bad one. <laughs> um, if I Google Osberg tablet weave loom, it'll come up. Like, there's an amazing picture of it from when it was being excavated, and it's just like, it's a tablet weaving loom, like ones that you can buy at reenactment markets, and... It's just there, and it's all warped up, and it's just covered in gunk. There it is. I'm gonna send that over because it's it's cool to see it. Um, I love I love it being set up. So like, as soon as you get wherever it is, you end up going. You're just ready to weave. You don't need to thread anything. You're just ready. Yeah, there it is. I put it in the general chat thing. So cool. It's so rad. Oh, I think I found the picture as well. That is incredible. We will put this on the Tumblr because yeah. it is so cool. Mm -hmm. It was literally like almost in motion. Just just there. Yeah. Genuinely, like you could you could if they were if they were solid enough, you could just pick it up and start weaving. Um 
And what I love is is the way that they've stopped the tablets from turning in the loom is the way I stop tablets from turning in a loom is just by shoving a stick in there. <laughs> That's just what they did a thousand years ago as well. I'm like, ah, excellent. I am authentic in my technique. <laughs> I guess if it works, it works. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's it's one of those crafts that I think appeals to a lot of people because you don't need much to do it. Like, you can buy looms and, um, like, tabletop looms and that sort of thing to do tablet weaving, but you can also do it literally just with, like, I've done it with a chair leg before now, and I've tied one end of the tablet weaving to a chair leg and then sat on the other side of the room with it tied to my belt, and it's been absolutely fine. Like, it's so relatively cheap and easy to get the equipment. You, you can make your own tablets, or you can buy wooden ones or bone ones, or you can just, like, cut them out of fairly thick cardboard and they'll work for now. Yeah, Great. I think when I... Because I went to, like, a tablet weaving workshop during the last Jorvik Festival, and I think they, they gave us just these, like, thick card ones... That I still have somewhere, but I haven't been brave enough to try and use them again. I've seen them made out of playing cards. Mm. Oh, that's I've made yeah, I've made some out of playing cards, and like they they work, but they work if you're not putting them under too much tension. So obviously, cardboard isn't the strongest mm. material in the world. Um, but yeah, it, like it it worked for long enough that I got, I think, a little... I don't know what I was making. I was making something small, probably like a couple of garters or something to hold my hose up, and it was fine. I didn't destroy anything. Nice. I think the problem that I've had before um, when trying to trying to do it with cardboard is, like, the rough edges of the cardboard shredding the thread. Yeah. Like I've had um I had a lovely set made for me as a gift, um which was really sweet and it was it was lovely but the holes of the the tablets themselves weren't completely smooth, so every now and then a thread would snap as I was as I was turning the tablets and they acted like little miniature pencil sharpeners so I think the bone ones if you can get bone ones they're really good because um, obviously you can get bone super duper smooth. Oh, um, okay, but then they slip really easily. It's like the different. It's like, do you prefer bamboo or metal knitting needles, right? Because if you prefer the bamboo ones because of their because of their tactility, they're not necessarily as slippy as the metal ones. But the metal ones are slippy, so you can knit faster. But it's easier to get the yarn to slip off your needle by mistake. So I think it's the same with tablet tablets, where like the bone ones are great, but they can slip and slide a little bit. I could be lying. Okay. I, I yeah, that wrong. makes sense. I don't know. Maybe it depends what you're working with, because some of the bands are in silk, aren't they? So yeah, yeah. I can't imagine a combination of bone and silk would be anything other than chaos. Oh god, yeah. Oh, oh. I think it like the the silken metal brocade ones with load like loads of tablets on. That seems like a tricky situation. You know what I've realised. Yeah. We haven't said what tablet weaving is. Oh! That was probably one of my things that I should have said when you were like, tell us about tablet weave. I should have told you what tablet weaving is. Oh! 
Cool, course. there's no chronology on this podcast. We just say things. Um, <laughs> yeah, we truly great. do. So let's talk about it now. Hooray. Okay, cool. Um, so, um, so tablet weaving is a weaving technique um, where you create the shed. So like you warp it up by, you warp up, you make um, backwards and forwards lengths of thread or loops of thread of yarn. Then you create a shed, create the gap through which you pass the weft, so the side to side threads, um, by suspending some of the threads up and some of the threads down using tablets or cards. They, they call it tablet weaving in the UK, uh, and they call it card weaving in North America and in, in other places. Um, so you basically will have, at its most basic, uh, a set of square tablets or cards, picture a playing card with holes at the top and bottom in each corner, and the top holes separate threads from threads going through the bottom holes, and then you pass thread side to side in between the two, you rotate the cards, which rotates the threads, trapping the weft thread, and then you make another shed through which you pass the weft. Um, and you make pretty bands with it. You make you make you can make ribbons with it, and you can make um, you can make stuff like piping with it. You can make leg wraps with it. We have um, plenty of evidence that the sort of the leg bindings from the Viking Age that are very popular were made to width and to length. Some possibly with tablet weaving rather than with uh, like a warp weighted loom. Um, yeah, and it's a it's a pretty pretty cheap and easy way to make yourself some some longs make yourself something long <laughs> make some longs just, make some, just long. some long and pretty make, make some long and pretty today yeah and you can get super you can get really complicated so you can weave incredibly complex diverse patterns into the bands that you're making and we have later medieval examples that have writing in them we have like gothic typeface writing Wow. in tablet weaves oh yeah it's it's some of the um in fact i think i might have a uh a picture of it on my laptop because i found one and it was just mind-blowing the things people are doing yeah so you can um there we go there's a nice there's a nice one that somebody in the sca made that i then decided to stick up on my computer and, and steal theft theft there is yeah so i pop that in the in the thing as well that's a a tablet woven band or several tablet woven bands with uh beautifully done writing in them it's mad it's mad crazy oh lovely yeah i'm so impressed by the sheer variety Sorry, I, I I want to react, but the image is not coming through for me for some reason. We just gripe it to you. I mean, people listening wouldn't be able to see it anyway. Oh, you, you have painted a picture with your words, somewhat. <laughs> somewhat. <laughs> you painted a picture with words, kind of. Well, that doesn't say what type of picture. You know, could be. It's a, a bad a picture. A childlike, a childlike <laughs> scrawl. <laughs> What famously competent painter Picasso, yeah. I mean, he was famously competent, to be fair. Well, exactly. You know, competent, but somewhat abstract. Sounds like me. No, it doesn't. Spoon-handed spoon moron James Johnson here. 
I have found some pictures though of of some, and it looks really cool. It's so good. Have either of you done it? Have either of you tablet woven, tablet weaved, woven? Not beyond that one session last last February. <laughs> I feel like we've both given it a go. I've tried a couple of times. Well, the problem is I, do, I don't have anywhere that I can really set it up unless I strap it to a door handle. Yeah. But yeah, also I can't stand I can't like stand in one spot for any length of time because my knee doesn't work properly. Oh. <laughs> so I I need like something I can attach it to. Maybe I should just do it on a table leg like, on the floor. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I at one point um so I lived in a I lived in a shared house like everyone else. And um, I was doing it in the living room and I was um, literally just like sat on a chair. And across from me, I would I would sort of I tie a knot in the end of um, in the end of the band. So like leave enough kind of working yarn, if you like, at the end of the band. So I could tie a big knot in it and then I would attach the knot to a door handle or to a table leg or I would extremely naughtily screw a screw into a table leg um, or into like the under bit of a table so that I could I could hook my tablet weave to it and like it takes it takes length is the problem so like if you're getting if you're making a full belt you need to be able to make you know say like 40 inches to be comfortable mm -hmm. and that's you know three and three and a bit foot so like that's a good chunk of space you will get in the way unless you live in like a mansion but then get someone else to make your tablet weave for you innit? <laughs> hire a local surf hire a local surf yeah press one of press one of your underlings into into weaving make me a make me a belt villain you that peasant Okay. I require trims. Oh, villain is a word that is not used enough. Weave me, weave me a fine silken trim, villain. <laughs> and be quick about it. I must have it by wits and tide. So you're a woodworker? No excuses. <laughs> Peasants all know how to make things. You got hands. This is a peasant thing. Actually, we've got some we've got some good evidence that this wasn't just a peasant thing because the um, the Osserberg ship burial is is very high status and like there's some evidence that that whoever was buried in it might have been, if not noble, um, then royal. So there's there's some there's a good idea that like this is one of those things like embroidery um, or or medieval knitting that like high status people were doing. Um, and like there's some there's some thought that it was a gendered craft in some societies and not others, but um I'm actually not sure if in a in a British context like knitting it was male dominated for a while. Um but I can believe it might have been. I mean I imagine if these incredibly complex and actually quite time consuming and concentrated designs are being made, like that that suggests someone who's got the time to do that um yeah and like good light somewhere oh god yeah Ooh. i can't imagine having to do this in in a gloomily lit 
hovel. I, and I like, live I live in a gloomily lit hovel, so <laughs> But like imagining trying to do it by like rush light. Yeah. That that would be rough. That's yeah, no, no. I think it's one of those um it's one of those crafts where like electric lighting revolutionized our ability to to do it. Like so many things. That was a very that was very much a truism. That was like electric light means you can do stuff better. <laughs> Shut up. Shut up, Jimmy. New historic <laughs> revelation. You're talking crazy. <laughs> From YouTuber. Um the yeah, idiot James Johnson makes stunning revelation. <laughs> oh. So do you Good. have any like favorite examples of like because you said about some the SCA one, but do you have any favorite historical examples? Yeah, so there's actually um there's one that I really, 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 really love, um, which is in the Irish National Museum of Archaeology. Um, actually, I might have a photo of that as well. Um, and it, it's a gold brocade tablet weave. Um, and it's, it's absolutely beautiful, but it's so small um, that you get a lot of tablet woven bands, modern, modernly made ones, uh, which are quite wide and really impressive and like they use 50 tablets or whatever it might be and it's it's like three inches wide and it's got pictures of animals in it and all that kind of stuff um but a load of the historical ones are absolutely teeny tiny i mean like some of them are like a couple of millimeters across in some cases they're really really diddy um but the irish national museum has a section of uh, like a segment of tablet weave in one of their rooms and pop it into the into the chat and hope that this one loads please load great um that should be there and oh yes yeah it's oh, super shiny it's so shiny um and that's like the biggest chunk of it that is still visible and then the rest of it is just like gold threads like gold threads clearly held together just about by um, I, I imagine the silk cord inside the silk core inside the gold, but it's it's like in this dimly lit room, so it doesn't get any damage, no light damage, but it's tiny and it's like maybe a centimeter wide, if that, and like it, it looks like something that took hundreds of hours and lots of concentration and lots of skill to make this thing that is a few mil wide, but is just stunning. Like it's pristine weaving. And it's just, it's just so gorgeous. I love it. I love the tiny ones. I like the tiny ones, he said. <laughs> Sounding normal. Oh, no, that is incredible. It's, it's beautiful. Like it's absolutely beautiful. Um, I don't know anybody that's recreated it because so much of it is lost. Like so much of the weave is lost that it, it's probably very, very difficult to um, figure out the pattern of it, but it's just, oh, oh, give, give. 
Oh yeah, I'm imagining that even shinier and more of it. Yeah. And like, yeah, that that looks very status symbol-y. Oh yeah, it's it's super status symbol-y. It's it's very good. Um, I'm not sure of the context of it. There's not a great deal of information on it. It's one of those things where like you'll go to the museum and see it, and it will say tablet weave ninth century. End. <laughs> like the end. <laughs> That's all you need to know. Like, cool. Where was it excavated? Tablet weave, ninth century. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. I mean, I've Thank got you. a whole run about museums should provide oh. more information about their objects. As in, as in, that was one of my essays during my masters. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's a shame. It, oh yeah, like the information must be somewhere. It's a question There's, of whether um... whether it's online somewhere. <laughs> What is the what's it called the Yorkshire Museum in York? I have I have issues with because so much of their stuff is just a thing in a cabinet. Is it especially that one big cabinet as you go down the stairs where it's just like yes. we might tell you what this thing is, but mostly you're gonna just stand and look at it and go, oh that's nice. Yeah, yeah, literally like unique textiles that we don't have anywhere else in the world that's been found a quarter of a mile away in a really difficult urban excavation that took a hell of a lot of manpower to get going. And they're like, nothing. Not even a number, not even an accession number visible. You're like, well, yeah. I mean... It's just a scrap in a box. I don't know what this is. <laughs> yeah, it would be nice to have more information on like, why we should care about this what is interesting about it particularly yeah like it's it, yeah it's hard to and part of that is and it's tricky right because things like this tablet weave like i really care about it because it's a craft that is a part of my hobby and obviously a part of my job and it's one that i know hundreds of people in my reenactment societies appreciate and enjoy and i know dozens of people who do it. i know a couple of people who do it as their job full-time they're tablet weavers oh um, wow yeah it's absolutely spectacular and this is one of the things that they don't make reproductions of because there's 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 zero information available on it so it would be really cool if we could have information on it but how do i how do i um articulate that in a way that would make a museum board go oh yes of course well in that case we must do this like it's it's difficult to say like hi i'm a nerd um this is important <laughs> to me because nerdy things Let's please can what... you spend five thousand euro improving this display and publishing some of the information on it see what i would like which i think is a good balance between like some people just want to look at it and some people want a lot more information is what a lot of art galleries do where they have a little booklet and you can have a look in the booklet and get more information and be told where there's even more information. Or if you want to just yeah. look at the pretty things, you can just ignore the booklet. Museums should do that as well. That would be that would be so good. I think the V&A is probably the only museum I can think of that regularly does things of that kind because they publish they publish pattern books. Oh yeah, like the, the V&A I think acts a lot more like an art gallery than a museum a lot of the time. And this is a good thing, because art galleries, I think more than museums... Sorry, this is just my personal rants now. Museum I think, corner! I think art galleries more than museums feel that they have to explain things because pe people don't care as much about art. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. But museums should explain things as well, because otherwise how will people know that this is something they care about? Like, it's not a scrap of fabric, it's like this item of clothing from this time worn by probably this person, and that's a lot more interesting than, oh, it's some grey fabric. Yeah, I think the because the V&A is a, a museum of design, right? That's their thing. Is yeah. It's all about the design and teaching people about design is a lot easier if they have, sounds like another truism, it's easier to teach people about design if they have access to the designs and publishing books with patterns or deconstructions and context and further reading lists is a really good and fairly easy way of doing that. And it sells you loads of books and it gets you lots of money, which is obviously what museums need. Especially at the moment. Especially at the moment, because, <laughs> oh my God. Um, yeah, I, I went to the MA conference this year. Every other session was just like, how do we get money? <laughs> it was bleak. I believe it, yeah. It's so tough out there right now. But yeah, I would, yeah, that is my favourite tablet weave, I think. Every time Honestly, I go to the museum, I look it up and I'm like, mm -hmm, tell me more about you, reveal to me your secrets. <laughs> you have made me think of, like, what would happen if someone strolled into a reenactment wearing, like, a full, a full reconstruction of something like that, and that it would be equivalent to, like, walking into the club covered in, like, gold chains. Oh, mate, I have seen somebody, um, not this one, but I've seen somebody walk into a reenactment wearing, like, a full, perfect um, reconstruction of a tablet weave, just as, like, like I say, like a centimetre-wide weave on their cuffs. And they've literally walked onto a field, and somebody from 50 yards away has snapped their head around, walked over to them, and just been like, oh my god, look at his tablet weave. And then 20 <laughs> other people have like formed this train behind them, and then a crowd around their sleeves, literally to look at this like centimetre wide weave and go, oh my god, it's amazing, <laughs> that's fabulous, it's so nice, did you make it yourself? It's absolutely beautiful, oh wow. And it was this person's first event with the society, so they turned up and were suddenly mobbed by fans and admirers <laughs> wanting to touch their clothes. And it was like... So strange for them. They're like, is this normal? Does this always happen? No. <laughs> You're just perfect. That is that is one thing I absolutely love about reenactment is that strangers will start the conversation, not with like just, oh, I like your shoes, but like, oh, I love that particular method of stitching on your shoes. How was that made? Do you know? Did you do it yourself? <gasps> it's so lovely. <laughs> It's, it's brilliant. <laughs> it is a good and welcoming community. It is. It will get weird. <laughs> Be okay with it being weird. Oh. Oh, good times. Um, so, Anywho. do you have any particular pieces of tablet wearing that feature on your outfits? Um, so I don't have, I don't have much decoration on my outfits generally, um, because I try to keep it's very boring and very tight. I try to keep my my outfits generic, um, and there are patterns that we kind of associate, like the like the like the Osterberg burial pattern, 
um, with certain periods. So if I wanted to use my um, if I wanted to use my tunics for, say, Roman reenactment, I would turn up with my admittedly very nice Osserberg pattern, which I bought. And most people going to the event wouldn't think, oh, he's got he's got Viking Age tablet weave on his cuffs, Ugh, scumbag. But I would know that I was wearing something from three or four hundred years later. Um, having said that, I do have a really nice um, replica of the Oseberg tablet weave that was made by uh, my friend Catherine, who's one of the aforementioned professional tablet weavers. Um, and she sells at reenactment markets and she's really, really good. And all of her weaves are spot on. Um, like she puts all of the research effort into getting the right materials, dyeing the materials, the right colors. You pay you pay the right amount for them, considering the amount of work she puts in, but they are really, really lovely. Um, so I think my favorite one that I own is my um, my Oseberg replica from from Catherine because it's it's lush. It's just oh, it's delicious. Um, so I will sew it onto tunic cuffs temporarily. Um, I'll just whip stitch it onto a tunic cuff and then take it off after the event. Uh, but yeah, I don't have any permanent tablet weave on my on my clothes. So that seems like a good way to make something temporarily a specific period, though. Mm. It's it's a really it's a really good way of doing it, and it's a it's sort of a relatively beginner friendly way of doing it, right? All you need to be able to do is whip stitch a thing onto another thing, mm -hmm. and you've you've done it. Um, and even I, with my half-functioning, semi-human semi brain, can manage that. The skills with your hands, obviously. <laughs> Sewing tablet weave onto a cuff is going to be is going to be difficult. But just in terms of like, if you're looking for an easy, an easy way to make your um, tunic or whatever it may be look or dress uh, look like it's from a specific period, then find a tablet weave. From that period, make it yourself, buy it, or see if a friend will do it for you, or borrow one, because you can easily borrow braids and that kind of thing. Sew it on, take it off after the event, job done. Oh, that's, that's, a, that's a good hack. Life hack. Thank you for coming to my TED talk. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Um, I am excited to, at some point, when I'm less terrified of it. Try tablet weaving again. Yeah, I've, I've been inspired to give it another go, possibly while sitting on the floor like a little creature. But we'll, we will see whether I manage to do that before February or not. <laughs> tablet gremlin. <laughs> and obviously, like, if you don't manage it before February and you want some tablet weave, the Viking Festival is going to be on in York and there are lots of people selling tablet weave. Oh yeah, that that's that's why I say February because like I I have, I have a dress that I made and it would be fun to have things to like, attach to it. Hazel got me some beads from Hastings, which is cool. They were, I'm sorry, they were not from Hastings because the bead lady was not at Hastings, um, and I was very sad and I should have got some at Heva, but it didn't occur to me, and now I do not have beads from the bead lady, but I did. Um, find a replica of one of the Coppergate beads. Um, they, they are very nice beads that you got me. One of them looks like a little pumpkin. 
Oh. They are cute. I know we're not um, doing beads, but my favourite bead is a panda bead that one of my friends made. A panda? It's a little panda. little glass yeah. panda. He's so good. <laughs> That's amazing. He's so good. I love it. So at, at the risk of talking about beads for the next half an hour, which I would be ha entirely happy to do off recording, um, what is our local ladder, Hazel? Um, yes. So, um, in the continued tradition of trying to make local larder a bit matchy-matchy to whatever seasons we're experiencing, um, I have one that is perhaps a little bit festive, not in itself, but just because of the associations um, that we in Western Europe have. Uh, so it does involve reindeer, but it's not a specific, like, festive kind of food, but it is regional. And it is a dish called finbiff, um, which is attributed to Norway in most recipes I've found, um, but has different versions of it across Scandinavia. And it is a reindeer stew. Oh, that does sound mm. nice, though. It kind of sounds delicious. Um, so finvif is the Norwegian word for this particular stew. Um, but it has its roots in Sami cooking. Um, which is the indigenous people of the far north of Europe. Um, and sort of versions of it can be found across Norway, Sweden, Finland, and northwestern Russia. Um, and so it has its roots in the traditional preparation of reindeer meat, um, the Sami being known for often managing reindeer herds. Um, and it involves reindeer meat that is prepared in the traditional way with it being frozen and thinly sliced while it's still frozen. So you get like proper thin slices. And you can apparently buy um, reindeer meat thinly sliced ready frozen in Norwegian supermarkets. I don't know if you would be able to get it here. Hold on. Uh, I'm really hoping the answer is yes, because I want to try this now. <laughs> oh no. I just googled reindeer frozen UK and <laughs> a lot of Pictures of the very cute reindeer from Disney's Frozen came up. <laughs> now I feel bad for like <laughs> trying to eat him. Uh, let, let me amend that. Okay, there's a couple of like websites that you can get it from. You can always trust a meat website. It'll be fine. <laughs> Why not just buy me off the internet? Or better still, off that guy from the pub. <laughs> what could go wrong? Anyway, so you have your thinly sliced reindeer. 
<laughs> which uh, which makes it pretty easy to brown off in the pan, apparently. Um, and the stew also includes, um, well, there's a few different versions, um, but according to the Visit Norway website, um, you have your reindeer meat, and it also includes mushrooms, bacon, sour cream, juniper berries, and the brown cheese, the, oh. the Norwegian brown cheese. Okay, yeah, this sounds amazing. Uh, which sweetens it, because it's a sweet goat's cheese, um, which apparently has kind of a caramelly flavour. Mm. I've never tried this cheese, um, but it's been on the list for a while. I might have to try and find someone this winter. And yeah, all those things cook into a delicious stew that is traditionally often served with like mashed potatoes or some form of potato um and sometimes lingonberry jam nice and honestly it, it sounds delicious it looks delicious and apparently reindeer meat is one of the healthiest meats because it's very lean mm. that's good to know yeah so if you can get a hold of it then uh yeah that looks like a really good winter recipe to give it a try. Some of the recipes I've found say you can use venison um, if you can't find reindeer, or one of them specified moose, which is equally inaccessible to us in the UK. <laughs> it would be a very lost moose. Um, but the reindeer and the brown cheese are what makes it specifically taste like Finbiff. We need to see if our Canadian patron can get hold of some brown cheese and some mousse and make this and just report back. <gasps> oh, yeah, we could definitely outsource this. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we can have that as a segment, like... <laughs> People who have access to the things, making the things. Oh, that would be great. Oh, speaking of, actually, you remember a while ago you talked about that one, um, it was a, a Caribbean drink that's put in like rum or with hot water and stuff like that, and I cannot remember the name of it, because when I bought it, it was just called Caribbean drink. <laughs> Oh, but the, there's a maker's market in Salford, and there was a this like little old woman selling it. So I finally got to try it, and it is delicious. Oh, fantastic! And I can't for the life of me remember what it's called, but we did talk about it in a local larder a while ago. Oh, we did. Okay, well, describe it to me again. It's like. It's got these really dark flavours and it's got a lot of... It's like quite herbal, like kind of medicinal. Mm. I think it uh, might have rose hip. No, it's gone. It's Sorry, gone. Jimmy, this is just me trying to remember something that I bought like a month ago because we talked about it on an episode a year ago. 
I'm yeah. fine with it. I'm enjoying it. <laughs> this is just us trying to recall our own past and coming up with nothing. But if anyone remembers that episode, it was nice. And now I have a whole bottle of it that I'm going to be having as just like, instead of hot Vimto, I'm going to be having hot that. Hot that? With the, she just called it a Caribbean drink. I just like this Caribbean hot that. Hot that. <laughs> like I'm just, I'm just going home for some hot that. Just have some hot that. <laughs> just a hot cup of that. Hot cup of that. You realise after Nick has edited this episode, that is going to be what it's called in this house. <laughs> As it should be. It's right. Um, but anyway, if if you are listening to this still and would like to support us, we are on Patreon at patreon.com slash breadandthread where you can get access to a Discord server and monthly recipes. We also have a Tumblr, which is Bread and Thread, where you can find pictures of things we talk about on the podcast, like amazing archaeological times of finds of fully set up looms, um, and also teasers for upcoming episodes. And we just re reblogle, reblogle, reblogle. <laughs> we we reblog things that are interesting about history and archaeology and uh, food and stuff. And if you want to suggest an episode, you can message us on there or email breadandthreadpodcast at gmail.com. Jimmy, where can people find you? I can generally be found lurking on my YouTube channel, which is The Welsh Viking. Um, I can occasionally be found lurking on Instagram as well. And I think my handle is at littlewelshviking on Instagram. And that's pretty much it on the intertubes. Um, Otherwise, I am... Uh, occasionally to be found, just sort of stalking around Yorkshire or Wales, looking for old things to film. Well, in, in the event that you are not uh, randomly cited by any listeners, if anyone has not checked out Jimmy's channel, you should. It's great. It's very good and well-researched, and I, I've learned a lot of things, and it is also entertaining. I, I can confirm that I like it enough to give Jimmy Patreon money to to hang out in his Discord. So Yay. Thank um, you both. You are very <laughs> kind. But thank you for listening and we will see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>